Today we talk about death, life and death. Death is inevitable. Death is unavoidable. Death is inescapable. And death is 100% sure. So the question is, what happens after death? What happens when I die? This last week, as I was looking for a book, um, the Lord directed me to a magazine which I had, uh, which I had forgotten about. I don't even think I had really looked through it. It's a, someone gave it to me in 2014. It's a special edition of Time magazine, and it's called Discovering Heaven. And as I pulled that out, I said, the providence of God that I would pull this out on this week when we talk about heaven and hell is amazing. And it's the, the subtitle is How Our Ideas About the Afterlife Shape How We Live Today. It's written by a woman. Her name is Lisa Miller. And it's astounding and it's fascinating when you look at what our world believes in. You, she goes through all the religions and she goes through Christianity and she uh, points out the fact that in history and in culture and in religions that the majority overwhelmingly believe in life after death. And there's all kinds of different views, but uh, Americans, uh, a high percentage believe in heaven. Not all believe in hell, but many believe in heaven. There's a few quotes which you'll see on the screen that I found in here that were mentioned uh, about heaven. The first one is right out of the Quran. It's Islam's scripture book. And it says, they who believe and do righteous deeds, those are the companions of paradise. They will abide therein eternally. <clears throat> An American writer, some of you may have read his writings, Mark Twain. He says, heaven goes by favor. If it went by merit, you would stay out and your dog would go in. Isn't that true? The third quote, uh, a South African Anglican human rights activist, Desmond Tutu, says this, We may be surprised at the people we find in heaven. God has a soft spot for sinners. His standards are quite low. A Serbian writer and filmmaker Mariana Abramovic says, I don't know anything about the afterlife because I haven't been there yet. A statement of many. But I find great comfort in this last one. It is the Word of God, the Holy Scripture. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, it says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. For those in Christ, we rejoice in passages of Scripture as that which bring comfort to our souls as we look at facing death. In Luke chapter 16, we have seen a uh, conversation, a teaching. Jesus is speaking first to his disciples and he warns them about <clears throat> really greed. And, uh, and not that money is bad, but that it can, the use of money can lead to sinfulness. And the Pharisees are listening in and then you get to verse 14 and he begins to point out to them uh, their upholding of the law and their lack of that and an understanding of the kingdom of God, which we saw last week, and he used the example of divorce with them in that. And then now he 
teaches a parable. He tells a story with a point and the parable. He's still speaking to the religious leaders and it's about heaven and it's about hell and it portrays the reality for all mankind. And we see in this parable that Jesus teaches that universalism, reincarnation, purgatory and uh, annihilation theories are not true. And that your eternity is sealed when you die. There's only two options after death. Eternal blessing or eternal suffering. And the big idea this morning from Luke 16 verses 19 through 31 is that your eternal destiny is sealed upon your death. And no worldly position, wealth or good work can save you from the wrath of God. Would you look with me at Luke chapter 16, verse 19? There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things And Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who had passed from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. The word of God. We are so blessed to have our Lord and Savior speaking to us from his word. We have this parable, which for some, it may strike some fear this morning. For others, it may cause your heart to agonize over family and friends who are far from Jesus. The wonderful thing is that we can know the truth about eternity. And for those who are in Christ, there can be assurance. And there is a call if you're here this morning and you're far from Christ that you would turn to him. 
Let's look at verses 19 through 22. Let's look at heaven and Abraham's side. Again, there's this parable. There's a rich man. And I want to focus in for a moment on verse 22. There is a poor man. His name is Lazarus. And someone say, oh, is that the Lazarus who died? No, this is a parable. Jesus is telling a story. And it says that this poor man, Lazarus, is covered with sores. He's starving. He's hungry. He lays outside of the gates of the rich man's house. And the dogs come and lick his sores. And we're not talking about nice household pet dogs. We're talking about feral dogs that would have roamed the area. And there they come. And I don't know why dogs do that, but they come and lick his sores. And this poor man died. He died. And Jesus says that the angels carried him to Abraham's side. They carried him to heaven. But he's poor. He's hungry. He has sores. And he's ignored. I wonder how many times was Jesus telling the story in the sense that the rich man ignored this poor man every day when he went in and out of his place, never serving or helping or loving the poor man. It is a comfort when you read these verses here that for the death of God's people comes comfort. And there uh, he brings them, as it says here, Lazarus is carried to Abraham's side by the angels. This wonderful picture of God's care for his people at the point of death. I'm reminded of the thief who died next to Jesus on the cross. There was two of them. One rejected Jesus and mocked him. One began mocking him, but then came to a point of realizing that this is the Messiah. And Jesus told that man, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. There are some people who believe that when we die, we go to sleep for a period of time. There are some people that believe that when we die, we fall asleep and there we're waiting to the point of judgment or the day of the Lord when he returns. And at that point, then we become awake. But yet you read a parable like this. You read the account of the thief and you have the picture when Jesus says today you will be with me in paradise. As such, we will look here at a moment. When the rich man dies, he's separated from God immediately and goes to hell. In verse 25, Lazarus is being comforted and he's experiencing the blessings of the Lord God Almighty in heaven. Now, I don't know what you think about heaven. We read about the streets of gold. Read about that there's no need for lights because the glory of God is enough light for, uh, for heaven, for the new heavens and the new earth. You read of wonderful things. Turn to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. A description of heaven, the new heavens, the new earth. What this will be like for all who are in Christ after their death. It says in Revelation chapter 21. Verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
He will dwell with them. Now think for a moment. God dwelling with his people. It's a picture back to the garden when creation, after creation, and God said it was good. It was very good. It was perfect. And God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. This is a picture of what heaven for all of God's people here, Lazarus, enjoying the blessings of being with God face to face. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Listen, verse four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Have you been sad? Have you been grieved in your soul? Have you cried? Have you wept in this world? Is the troubles of this world real? Yes. And we are grieved over things in this world. But to think there will be no more tears. There will be no more sadness. There will be no more sorrow. It's hard to imagine. It says, and death shall be no more. Oh, isn't that a wonderful statement? No more death. How many people have we lost that we've been close to that have died? That right now are in eternity. In either heaven or separated from God and they're in hell. No more death. It says, neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. <clears throat> and isn't it a, a wonderful thing? We want to just spend our time talking about heaven, right? Continue on. Read chapter 21. Read chapter 22. Read of these wonderful things of the place that we get to spend eternity but the most important thing is not the streets of gold. It's not uh, that we have this wonderful, glorious, new creation, new earth. Those are wonderful. But the blessing for the believer who dies is eternity being with Jesus. God Almighty. Fellowship with Him face to face. Well, we could spend all day talking about heaven, right? Dreaming of heaven. Praying for the Lord to come back. But we must pay attention to hell. We must pay attention to hell, to Hades, and the place of the dead. If you look at verses 19 through 26. In verses 19 through 26. It says uh, in verse 22, The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off at Lazarus' side. You see, the rich man, he also died. The rich man is very rich. He has a lot of wealth. To have purple clothes was a picture of what a king or someone who was royal had. That it was a very costly dye to be able to have clothes that were purple. So this man who not only had the best designer clothes, but he ate the best gourmet meals, he also dies. And we live in a world when we can get so caught up with our possessions, with our wealth, with the things of the world that we forget about death. And we don't think much about it because we enjoy the day. But he calls out and it says he's in anguish. He's in agony. And it's, it's a horrible picture when you read this. And when you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, you will find that Jesus not only uh, speaks about hell more than anyone in the entire word of God. <clears throat> but Jesus teaches about hell more than he does about heaven. 
Therefore, we must pay attention to his words. And in this parable, the rich man calls out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And you never see him complain, say, why am I here? And I believe that's because at the point of death, we know God and we see him fully. His justice, his holiness and righteousness. And I think that many who will find their eternity in hell will realize they have nothing to argue against a holy God. He never complains about being in hell. He only expresses his anguish. He says, send Lazarus. Somehow he can see Lazarus. And he says, Father Abraham, send Lazarus over him. Can you just have him dip his finger in some water? Touch my tongue because I'm in anguish. And anguish here means intense pain. It means to be tormented. It means to be in great distress. I mean, think of all the most horrible things that you could experience in this world and times it by a hundred. It's a horrible picture. And so we ask, what is hell and what is hell like? Hell and being in hell, hell is receiving the wrath of God in your consciousness, in eternal torment, that the holy anger of God over sin and rejection of Jesus Christ is poured out upon those in hell. And many people just think, oh, it's a place where there's just the burning fire and there's, you know, I'm going to be separated in darkness and we have that. But it is this truth that we have from God's word that the wrath of God is poured out on sinners who have rejected the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Some other words which Jesus uses in the gospel accounts to speak of hell. One is Hades. It means the grave, death, hell, the place of the dead. Twelve times in the New Testament, Jesus uses the word Gehenna to describe hell. And some people take that then to say, well, this Jesus is not talking about hell. He's only talking about this trash heap outside of Jerusalem. Well, let's look at this. You may remember when we were in Luke chapter 12, Jesus speaks of death and he speaks of hell and he uses the word Gehenna. And he says in verse four, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he is killed has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. You see, when Jesus uses that word Gehenna 12 times, he used to describe hell. And Gehenna was a place outside of the city of Jerusalem, a terrible place, a horrible place. It was a place in which people, they worshipped idols. They worshipped demons. They did that by killing their children and sacrificing them to these demons to worship them. It was a place in which all the refuse of the city was taken out there. Dead bodies were buried out there. There were fires constantly burning. You did not want to be in Gehenna. And Jesus describes hell with this description that the people would have seen at that time, knowing what Gehenna was. In Mark chapter 9, verse 48, Jesus says, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. That is, in that place, the worms are always eating. The fires are always burning. And he says, that is Gehenna and hell is like that. 
You understand why we don't want to talk about hell? We'd rather avoid it. Jesus also says it's the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. He calls it the place of outer darkness. Matthew chapter 7. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us that there are going to be many who will come to him. They will be surprised at the outcome of their life. In verse chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Many will find their place in the outer darkness, the place of weeping and gnashing and teeth, the terrible place, the fires of hell. But the worst and ultimate thing, the wrath of God for all eternity. And as we saw a few chapters back about the narrow door, there are few who enter the narrow door and spend their eternity in heaven. And there are many, many, many who travel down the wide path and receive the wrath of God for eternity. Look back in Luke chapter 16. After a cry for mercy... Abraham responds and says, child, remember, remember your life. Remember all the good things that you had. Remember Lazarus? He had some tough things, some bad things. And Lazarus is comforted over here in heaven and you are in anguish. It says in verse 26, and besides all this between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. It teaches us about heaven and hell, that there is a great chasm. There is no way, according to Jesus's words, of anyone in eternity Going from heaven to hell or hell to heaven, it's so vast a chasm that it does not happen. And so teachings on things like purgatory, teachings on things where people believe that you just kind of become angels and you can flow from here to there and you, and, and you can go to this and that, whatever, that is not a description of heaven and hell. Yes, we have the new heavens and the new earth which Jesus will make all things new and we will be with the Lord forever. But it says that Lazarus cannot come over there, rich man. Traditionally, they call him Dives, which means rich man. Dives, he can't come to you because the chasm is too great. So he says, Dives, you you received all kinds of good things in your life, and now you're in anguish. And Lazarus didn't deserve some good things in life, now he's comforted. But I want to warn you from just taking those verses and think that Jesus is saying, That if you're rich, you're going to hell. And if you're poor, it's the way to heaven. 
Because some people have taken those extremes and they believe if they would just live in extreme poverty, then they would go to heaven. And if they have all these riches and those people are going to go to hell. I encourage you to go back earlier in the text a couple weeks ago. And look back at what Jesus teaches about stewardship and about finances. What Jesus is really pointing out here is something for those Pharisees who are listening in. He is basically saying this rich man is representing the Pharisees, the religious leaders. Because what this man did not do is he did not uphold the law in the sense that he didn't love his neighbor as himself. I mean, maybe this guy, rich guy, was a great law keeper. We don't know. But he didn't help Lazarus. And if you go in the context of this chapter, he's teaching these religious leaders to pay attention. And he comes to this pinnacle talking about heaven and hell. You would think at this point they're listening in. They've already mocked Jesus in verse 14 about what he was teaching the disciples. He corrects them with an understanding of the law and the gospel in the previous verses. And here he says heaven and hell and the rich man finds himself in hell. If you go back to Luke chapter 10, we were there last year and we saw the parable, another story of the good Samaritan. And then it says in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And at that time, we looked at that and that was a wonderful question. It's a question that every single one of us should ask. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus gives a parable of the Samaritan the story of a man who was beaten and left for dead. And the religious leaders all walked by and it was a Samaritan who came and helped the man. And he showed great love to the man. And he went and took care of him, bandaged his wounds, paid his bill. And Jesus asked those questions of, well, about the love of God and the expression of God's love towards others. But this lawyer in Luke 10 asked, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And here the rich man finds himself in eternal death. I wonder if the Pharisees were angry at this parable in Luke 16. I wonder if the Pharisees began to give every reason in their hearts and minds why they should go to heaven. I wonder how many of them, because they were already mocking Jesus and saying his teaching about giving was foolishness. I wonder how many of them missed what Jesus is teaching. I wonder how many of them might have been shocked and troubled and maybe began to question, am I like the rich man? Will I find myself... In the place of death, hell, Hades, Gehenna? Or will I be with Lazarus, comforted in heaven? What we see repeatedly through the Gospels is what we see in the last part of the text of of the passage today in verses 27 through 31. Is that many people have hard hearts. And it has everything to do with eternal life. If you have a hard heart towards God, you will face eternal life separated from Him. 
If your heart has been softened, if your heart has been changed by repentance and faith in Christ, then you will spend your eternity with our Heavenly Father because He adopts you as His own children. Look with me in chapter 16, verse 27. The rich man to Abraham says, Then I beg you, Father... Send him, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. I wondered this week, how many of you have family that you so wish and you pray for that they would come to Christ? How many of us have friends, co-workers, neighbors, students who are in school with, that we pray and we beg that they would come to Christ. You see, this is now the heart of the rich man. He realizes there's no way out of his predicament for all eternity. He says, Father Abraham, would you just go send Lazarus back? Because that sign of a man who died and came back to life would change their lives. Abraham says, they have Moses. They have the prophets. Let them hear them. He's like, no, Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he says in verse 31, pay attention to this. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Jesus is teaching those who are listening then And those of us now, that the law and the prophets, they speak of Jesus. They prophesy of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, of how he would come, when he would come, what he would do, and about his return. And the law and the prophets, all of it points to him. In Luke chapter 24, after Jesus rose from death to life, he says this, As he explains to a couple of disciples, he says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So I believe, and we believe at this church, that scripture alone is sufficient evidence to teach us who is the one who can grant us salvation. And that is Jesus Christ. And Abraham is teaching here these religious leaders who would want a sign. And many times they ask Jesus for a sign. He said, I'm not going to give you a sign. Abraham is saying that scripture is more convincing than a miracle of someone who would die and come back to life. That miracles cannot. And I would encourage you, if you're a follower of Christ today, there are too many Christians who are seeking miracles in a sense, to replace the holy word of God because we want the emotional side. We want to see something. And people want to replace the preached word of God. They were going to replace the word of God with miracles. Don't seek those things. If there are miracles that God does, then they're just an accent to the power and might and glory of God. But don't seek miracles to replace the holy word of God which is sufficient to give us evidence of the Messiah. The fact that not even a dead person rising would convince those people. 
it's important for us to reflect for a moment. We believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not one of us were with the disciples or with the 500 that witnessed Jesus after he rose from death to life. The wonderful thing is we do not have to visibly be an eyewitness of it. Because the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, gives us the evidence that we need that we could be saved by placing our faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We don't need Jesus to appear in this room, but yet some people beg that if Jesus, would you just show up to those friends? Because if they see you, then they will believe. Jesus teaches in this parable, Scripture alone is enough. The work of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God is enough to teach us and to give us the evidence of what the, the work of Christ and about His resurrection in our way to be saved. But hard hearts is what marks these people. They refuse to repent. All who go to hell refuse to repent of their sins and they refuse to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's not because of a lack of evidence, it's because of their hard hearts. How many people do we know who have heard the gospel? They've heard of the cross. They've heard of Jesus Christ dying in their place for their sins. They've heard that Jesus Christ is the one who paid the penalty for them, that he died and he rose again. And yet they still, to this moment, refuse to believe in Jesus Christ is Lord. It's because of hard hearts. Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, verse 30. The apostle says, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Repentance of your sins. Is the work of God, the Holy Spirit in your heart, when the word of God is revealed to you and you're struck with the holiness of God and the sinfulness of you. And the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see Jesus on the cross, to understand what he did, that we would believe that because his blood shed, our sins could be removed and we could have forgiveness And we see the empty tomb and believe that he is alive. He is at the right hand of the Father. And we believe that he's returning. Hard hearts. How many of you here think back before you became a Christian? How hard your heart was towards Jesus and towards the gospel. The good news. How did you try in your mind to think, how am I going to get to heaven? I'll do this, that, and whatever. And one day, the Holy Spirit opened your eyes and saw the grace of God, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And you realized that you needed Him to save you. Your wealth, possessions, your merits in this life have no weight on eternity. Or actually, maybe I should say they do have weight in eternity. Eternity separated from Jesus Christ. That yes, once you become a follower of Christ, you're called, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, to do good works. But your good works do not save you. Repentance of your sins and belief in Jesus Christ alone for salvation is 
how you would find comfort and blessing for eternity in heaven. So we go back to where we started. The big idea again is your eternal destiny is sealed upon your death. And no worldly position, wealth, or good work can save you from the wrath of God. And I am concerned this morning. I'm concerned for some of you. For some of you online listening to my voice. I'm concerned because I am not God. I don't know the outcome And some of you today may be facing eternity in the wrath of God in hell. And so I'm concerned. I never believe that when I preach with a gathering of people that 100% of people are saved. Again, I can't judge that. But I never believe that that is the account. I pray that it is. But I'm not assured of that. If you're traveling down the way of judgment. If you don't have faith in Christ. My prayer is that you would turn. That God would soften your heart today. Some people may ask this question. Is there any chance after I die. When I see what really is going to happen. That I can change my heart. And believe in Jesus then. No. Let me make one correction. You'll believe in Jesus. But you can't change that state of where you are for eternity. Hebrews chapter 9 says this, verse 27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment There is so many fears that are wreaking havoc in our lives. Many people believe and are fearful of, I'm going to die of cancer. I'm going to die of COVID. I'm going to die of this. I'm going to die of that. Yes, you're going to die. Some of us are fearful of how we're going to die. Lord, I just want to fall asleep and wake up in heaven, right? I've prayed that before. The reality is, is many people fear death and those who have the greatest fear of death are those who do not have assurance of salvation in Jesus Christ. Acts chapter four, verse 11 through 12 says this. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You cannot find salvation in any other religion, in any other person, or any other great work that you would ever do in your life. Salvation alone is in Jesus Christ, crucified, risen again, and he's returning one day, the day of the Lord, a fearful thing for all those who are far from him. Therefore, Jesus says this in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except through me Paul writes second Corinthians chapter 6 that today 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 right now is the day of salvation and if you find yourself far from Christ today is the day of salvation 
The Holy Spirit has revealed the truth of God to you. And as I've already declared, I'd say it again. The gospel of Jesus Christ that saves is that Jesus Christ died on the cross in your place for your sins. His, shed with, his blood was shed so that you could be forgiven. And he died and rose again the third day. And if you believe in him, you will be saved. There's no fancy prayer. No hoops to jump through. <clears throat> It's the Holy Spirit opening your eyes and you believing in him. And if you're a Christian, you say, I am a Christian and you're doubting this morning. <clears throat> you're like, I don't know. How can I know for sure? I hear this, but I don't know because you know what? I sinned this last week and I feel so bad and so guilty. I don't know. Maybe God's not going to let me in. And I've told you the last two weeks, stop believing a false thing of the, he loves me, he loves me not. When you pull that pedal, it's like, he loves me because I went to church. He loves me because I read the Bible in a year. He loves me because I did this. Oh, he loves me not because I sinned. He loves me not because I stole. He loves me not because I cheated. And he go through the list of those things. Once you are saved, you are sealed First John chapter five, read it this week. You want assurance of salvation? If you're a follower of Christ, you want to know, read first John chapter five, verse 13. He says, I write these things, the verses before and the verses that follow to you who believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So read John, first John chapter five. The believer <clears throat> That has faith in Christ. In a sense, as someone told me this week, it's like having a passport that's eternally stamped that says that you're a citizen of heaven, which Philippians chapter 3 teaches us. And Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 teaches that when you come to faith in Christ, God, the Father, He not only saves you by the work of Jesus Christ, the Son, but He seals your heart God, the Holy Spirit, it says in Ephesians 1.13, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Go read John chapter 10 this week of the great shepherd, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, the one who saves us. It says He will not lose His people. Satan and nothing can steal His sheep out of His hand. Nothing can steal them out of the Father's hand. So if you have faith in Christ, Christ, know that your eternity is sealed in heaven. Doesn't mean you have the freedom to just go and sin and sin and sin. We still battle with sin and we walk in the holiness of God because of the grace of Jesus Christ. And we need to pray for holiness. As the worship team comes forward and as we pray, as we sing the praises of our God this morning, um, I have done a number of funerals and memorial services in the last 22 years of my life. And there's a difference. There's a difference between a funeral and there's a difference between a memorial service. And I hate doing funerals because funerals for me are those who have died and no one can give a testimony of their faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe they made a profession of faith before they died. But for the most part, you ask their family, you ask their friends, and all they want to say is, oh, he was really a good friend. Oh, she did some really great, wonderful things. And you say, well, do they believe in Jesus? Oh, I don't know. They went to church occasionally. I hate doing funerals. 
I love doing memorial services for all of God's people who friends and family gather and they tell the testimony of the fruitfulness of the person's life, not for their glory, but for God's glory and what he did in their life. Pray that we would see many more memorial services and not funerals. A number of you here and at home have put down names that I ask you to pray for for 90 days. People that will find themselves in hell like the rich man. Have you forgotten to pray for them? Are you praying for their salvation? Have you told them you're praying for them? Have you gone to the extent and said, let me tell you about Jesus Christ and why you need him? The Apostle Paul wrestled with death in the sense he said, I want to go to be with Jesus in heaven. But God has me here. And if I'm here right now, then that's for his glory to use me right now. So if you're a follower of Christ who longs to be in heaven, praise God. I do too. But God has you and I here right now for this moment, for such a time as this, that we would be people who declare the gospel and the good news of Jesus so that he would save people. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 1 verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Father, I pray that in this moment that you would be the one who works upon our hearts. Father, I pray and ask that those who are fearful, those who are far off, those who are at a point of facing eternity in hell, that today they would respond to the gospel. They would respond to the truth of your word, that they would believe in Jesus Christ, crucified, risen again, and they would be saved and they would be sealed for eternity. Father, we long for your return. We want to be with you. And Father, I pray for every believer in this room, every believer listening to my voice, they would not waste another moment, they would not waste another day, and they would be reminded of the work that you have set for us to do. Father, as we sing, change our hearts, create in us new hearts. Help us to be repentant people who love you and follow you and serve you for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.